Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hello and welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. This is Critical is the show where we question all of our assumptions about culture, like that the Amber Heard Johnny Depp burlesque has been dragging on for five long weeks, when in fact it's been dragging on for six long weeks. Justice for Amber. So a few weeks ago, the podcast Four Colored Nerds released a fascinating episode about the Black Manosphere. The show is hosted by Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. And if you haven't heard their show, it's amazing. And it's on Stitcher. You have to listen. Their tagline is that they peel back the layers of Black culture, rarely discussed in mixed company. And yeah, I can see this episode about the Black Manosphere. I can see how it fit the bill. Here's how Eric explains the Black Manosphere on the show. So if you don't know, the Black Manosphere is kind of shorthand for Black men who have essentially been red-pilled or kind of come to resist or be anti any ideals of like feminism or just like progress for women's rights, I guess you would say. That's kind of where a lot of it comes from. And there's an emphasis on targeting Black women. You know, the misogynoir just kind of jumps out. And they target them for ruining the dating pool, you know, single motherhood as the downfall of community. They encourage people to date outside of their race for better women. So that's a clip from the show. But I wanted to hear more, like how the Black manosphere fits into the wider manosphere, which is inevitably coded white. And I also needed to know what the kind of yin counterpart to the manosphere is when it comes to, say, non-men. Brittany and Eric explained that there's a name for that, that counterpart. It's the divine feminine. Now I really, really wanted to crash course in all of this because, as I've found, it's never, ever too late to discover you've been doing gender all wrong and treating yourself like an old rag when you could be divine with magical, intuitive, witchy yin energy of quietly serving men martinis and not talking too much. And that way, you'd attract not just another tired old person like yourself, but a high-value man with muscles and money. Now, right before we dive in, we should say we're talking about a small subset of a subset of a subset of a subset of Black men who are putting out this kind of high-key sexism and even anti-Blackness. It's the internet, after all, so it's not not revolting. Oh, and there's a bunch of highly specialized vocabulary. And it's from that that I learned a lot about so-called 
high-value men, which is what? It starts with income. We all have heard the three sixes, six figures, six feet, six pack. Yep. Okay. So high value in general starts, uh, I I put a number of $10,000 a month because that number, $100,000 has been with us since the 80s. That was Kevin Samuels, an alpha voice in the Black manosphere as a guest on a show called Fresh and Fit. Now, adding a strange dimension to this already strange topic is the fact that Kevin Samuels died of undisclosed causes just after we recorded this episode. So here is my conversation with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings. Eric and Brittany, welcome to This is Critical. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's so exciting to be here. I'm thrilled to have such super pros as you helping me basically get a postdoc in the (laughs) Black manosphere. (laughs) I mean, it is a little scary to find out now that I've looked through some of this stuff, what some people's emotional lives look like. I mean, in some cases, people we know. For instance, we did a show on the red pilling of yoga, and I was briefly kind of scared of all my friends who do yoga. And, you know, you could be forgiven for being a little nervous if you have anyone in your life who sidles up to the black manosphere. Yes. Yes. And I suspect we all do. Oh, yeah. Yes. Honestly, there's certain circles of friends, like not your close circle, but maybe that like third or fourth circle where it's like folks you just kind of see at that party. Yeah. You know, you're having that conversation. And you're like, ooh, I don't know if I want to ask you another question <laughs> because <laughs> this feels like it's going in the wrong direction. Yeah. So when we're talking about the general manosphere, we're talking about all kinds of online forums that promote masculinity and misogyny. So they can be um, men's rights activists, incels, pickup artists, fathers' rights groups. And most of that is coded white, even if there are diverse voices in it. But what is the Black manosphere and what's it about? Well, I think the Black manosphere largely focuses on its reaction to Black women and racism. So a lot of it is, in particular, I am trying to be partnered. And I am frustrated by how Black women respond to that. And after that, it kind of spirals out, like into, you know, a lot of anti-Black kind of reasons explaining why they might have that frustration. Just there's a lot of grievance and frustration, ignorant of the fact that, like, all of that is kind of rooted in in patriarchy and anti-Blackness. And then on the other side, for women, we see this thing called femininity coaching, which tells women, in this case, Black women, to be more feminine in how they talk and look. All right, both sides of these people, as I understand it, are advocating extremely rigid and almost kind of separatist gender roles. So what's this about? Well, you know, it's interesting. I saw TikTok recently that really put it, I think, very well. Basically, there's like a social contract in a lot of heterosexual relationships. And um, I think due to respectability politics for Black Americans, sometimes those restrictions can just be even tighter. Those roles can be even more rigid because, um, you know, white supremacy and many people of color, many marginalized people feel this need to sort of fit in because they can't fit in in the way in which they're marginalized, that they have no control over. What can I do to fit in in every other way? Oh, okay. I get that. Now, of course, I'm feeling for the women in this equation who are, you know, told that they need to be meeker and more subservient and that if they've changed, then they've ruined the dating pool for Black men. But 
the flip side of this is that the men are always being asked to make so much money. Like, I'm kind of glad that I'm not on that side of the equation. I mean, as we know, patriarchy, you know, shafts all of us. And sometimes I look at it and I'm just like, wow, you have to fucking work all the time if you're going to be like a complete sexist, you know? (laughs) That looks hard. It does look hard. But I think the thing about that that often uh, emphasizes the grievance more, you know, particularly for Black men, is the... uh, the experience of racism and the idea that that experience of racism is more unique for men than it is for women. And so, like, you know, they think, oh, it's my job to go out and earn uh, in this, you know, racist society that does not respect Black men. And then if, you you know, if the Black women I'm trying to date are doing that too, they're also, quote unquote, you know, like disrespecting me or, or taking away that power that they thought at some point because of patriarchy they might get. You know, they they feel almost damned if they do and damned if they don't. Like, you know, I can't make the money, uh, but the money I do make, she's trying to make more. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me there are a lot of parallels here to the incel world, which is, again, coded white. At least when I've seen pictures, everybody looks white in the incel world. Um, they Their major complaint is that they're too ugly to date. So there's like a certain actually slightly poignant misery about how they're undateable. Does an equivalent of that exist in the Black manosphere? Or is this just like, oh, feminists and Black women are the problem? Do any of them say, you know, there's something defective about me or something wrong with me? I haven't seen that as much. I have like a little theory that I'm going to try to string together. So I think because all things being equal, when you think about the ladder of <laughs> American oppression, white men are at the top. So if you have like a cis, hetero, straight, you know, white man, able-bodied, then like there's very little that will keep him from being able to make money in this country. And I think that for Black men, they still have the hurdle of racism. And also, if you just think about like the wealth gap between Black people and white people in this country, if, you're, if your focus is making money, then, then Black men are going to be at a significant disadvantage because mm-hmm. they're not going to have that same family wealth to draw upon. And they also might not have the educational and professional connections to draw upon the way that many white people do. And, uh, you know, the institutional knowledge that comes from having families that have you know, matriculated through college and graduated with degrees for generations. It's an experience that most Black men in this country just don't have access to. I think the primary grievance has to do with money and they don't have enough money and that's why women don't want to go out with them. Or we're gold diggers and we're trying to take whatever three quarters they've managed to rub together and so we don't deserve (laughs) men. And if we go out with somebody who has more money than them, then we're stuck up bitches. But I think it's a cycle that's weird and doesn't make any sense, but I think it is primarily around money. I think because white men have more economic opportunity, they've run out of the money thing to complain about quite as much. And so then they're just like, what what Botox can I put in my chin to give myself that Thor look, you know? So that's my sort of like armchair theory is that white men don't have enough to complain about. And so then it becomes, I'm ugly instead (laughs) of I'm broke. Yeah, I wouldn't put it exactly that way, but I agree. I think it's 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 largely economic when it comes to the experiences of the Black kind of manosphere. It really is rooted in the expectations, I think, of, of power. And often that is most directly attacked by economic insecurity for Black men. And 
it also extends into racism in the sense of like, I can't acquire, yep. which is what Brittany was saying, I can't acquire the money that would allow me to meet Black women's expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, their expectations are unreasonable. And that means, like, they have a flawed view of my place in our kind of social community. Yeah. I mean, this this is rough because, you know, these aren't the only guys thinking, I don't have enough money to support a family, certainly on my own. I mean, if boys, if my brother grew up with the idea that he should be able, like my dad, to support a family of four, that hasn't really panned out, you know? Far from it. And I don't know what that feels like inside. I mean, sometimes I feel like it's like women slowly realizing, you know, that they're not swimsuit models. Like, it's just (laughs) like, you know, one day you're just looking in the mirror and you're like, you know what? My swimsuit modeling career is not going to happen for me. It's interesting to me that like, as a woman, I kind of know growing up that because of sexism and also because of racism, there's a chance that I'm not going to be able to acquire as much wealth as some of the men, especially the white men around me. And I've also seen that bear out in my career. (laughs) And I've seen that in how I've been treated differently. And then also like, because looks are so valued and so prized in women in this like cis hetero situation that like you learn pretty quickly whether you are whether you have the type of looks that are going to get people to come to you or whether you're going to have to like develop a personality or learn to do backflips or something like that. Um, (laughs) And so like you kind of make peace with the fact that you maybe just were not like didn't win the genetic lottery or never going to blossom into a swan in accordance with very strict Eurocentric beauty standards. And it's very interesting to see these men in all cases, whether you're looking at the black manosphere or, you know, white incels, they're just like really gobsmacked by the fact that they might just be okay looking and never rich. And it's so interesting because like I learned those things quite early and I have survived to live another day. Yeah. I mean, you can still hope against hope even well into your 40s that, you know, the Ford model company is coming. And if you just diet more or like, you know, straighten your hair more that it it's more of us should just draw a line under that whole looks ambition earlier yeah. and move on. My mom told me to do it at 14. She said the swimsuit model thing to me. She's like, there comes a, you know, a moment in every girl's life, except for four women, where they realize they're not going to be swimsuit models and make this your day, you know, because your life <laughs> opens up after that. But the, yeah, you're right that you can still hold on to the idea that you could be CEO or you're just between jobs or like it's all going to turn around for you or the lottery. Um, and uh, and you could sort of go to your grave thinking you're meant to be rich. That's the thing. I think it's the socialization piece you can't like lose here. But, you know, as a cis man, you can grow up with the expectation that almost everything you want should be available to you. And it's reinforced in so many subtle ways. Like, Like, I even think about sitcoms or something, because a lot of times the pairings are often very kind of disproportionate. You have a kind of a curmudgeon guy, you know, who is not necessarily the pinnacle of, uh, I think, male beauty standards. (laughs) But he's typically paired with a wife who is very much the pinnacle of those beauty standards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, think about, like, what signals that sends that, like, regardless of what I look like, if I'm, you know... If I'm a a bit funny, I should be able to get, you know, a supermodel, so to speak. And so, you know, that's just one piece of it. There's also like the economic piece, like you're conditioned to think that we need to go out 
and make money. And that is our value. And so you get these signals of like, I should be able to get what I want. I deserve it. And it makes sense how all those things are driving, you know, kind of to this point where when it doesn't pan out like that, after every movie, TV show, music, you know, like book you read kind of signals that it could, I might be pissed too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course, that's not to say that the kind of reactions we're seeing in the manosphere are admirable or even valid. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Eric Eddings and Brittany Luce, hosts of For Colored Nerds, tell us about a counterpart to the Black manosphere, the world of femininity coaching, where women, Black women, but not only Black women, are taught to be more feminine. There's a bad connotation of being submissive. Being submissive isn't bad. And once you're married, you will realize that. And I hope that you realize that before you're married, because it'll make a lot of things easier for you. That's next. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And we're back. So far, we've focused mostly on the black manosphere, but there's a whole other reactionary gender cottage industry that's focused on women teaching them, teaching us, how to attract those dashing tall fellows with six packs and six figures. Just one example is Ebony Nikita Okeke, who hosts a YouTube channel. You heard a bit of her before the break. Here she is telling viewers how they should interact with their partners. We don't have to try to be as dominant as them. We don't have to try to be the leader all the time. Let's let them lead. Now, this is for your husband. (laughs) Let's let them lead. Now, if you're in a long-term relationship, let the man be the man. You don't have to try to... So we're back with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings of For Colored Nerds. Brittany, tell me about femininity coaching. Um, Well, it's interesting. Femininity coaching, one of the most interesting things that happened when we were making this episode is that when I would talk to women of other backgrounds and say, oh, we're working on this episode, they would also be getting femininity coaching that was from white women or daisy women <laughs> or Arab women or Latinas. Like, they're, this femininity coaching, I think because it's not as, like, outwardly materially destructive toward others as, like, you know, the incel movements and the Black manosphere movements can be. Um, Maybe it hasn't really crested, I think, in, like, the public discourse. But it's definitely bubbling everywhere on the internet. And when I first got on TikTok, I got a lot. I mean, it's basically teaching you to adhere to a very strict definition of what feminine behavior, feminine presentation is. And of course, in our culture, those things are shaped by patriarchy. And so it's like, you know, having (laughs) 
the silky long straight hair and being thin, but also shapely in a way that a man would like. It's all about adhering to this very specific beauty standard, but also standards of conduct, standards of behavior, how you talk, how you sound, what you talk about, um, how you decorate your home, what colors you wear, what your hobbies are, um, you know, how to be in conversation with a man and make him feel important. Like it's really just, I also find it kind of goes hand in hand with sort of this, this trad wife movement. Um, traditional wife that I think is more like in the more white, more definitively politically conservative end of the internet. Um, But I mean, it's a lot of the same stuff, staying at home, cooking, cleaning, baking. And I think what's underneath that, funnily enough, is really similar to what's underneath the Manosphere content, which is economic security. I mean, look, feminism has gotten me a whole hell of a lot. It needs to have gotten me a lot more by now. Um, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When you look at things like like our government, our society in America does absolutely nothing for people who birth children and then want to go back to work or want to have a personal right. life or want to feel like... Even after forcing those pregnancies Exactly. On exactly. So I could see being, you know, younger and much dumber or much more impressionable, I should say, and being like, man, this this feminism stuff is not like, it's not giving what needs to be given. (laughs) So to secure my economic future, why not find a guy who can take care of me and then I can take care of the quote unquote family side of things. Now that's a traditional way of looking at partnership. And for some people, uh, it can work out in a way that makes them happy, but both people have to be, I think, in agreement on what the rules are. And I also don't think that the rigidity (laughs) that the Black femininity training and the manosphere are requiring are sustainable for any human being. And that's why this stuff doesn't work. But yeah, it's really all about making yourself into the brass ring that a high value man wants to catch so he can take care of you. And then you can stop working. Like when I explained to my mom, (laughs) I explained to my mom once what this stuff was. And um, I had a a traditional arrangement between my parents when I was growing up, but not a patriarchal household. Um, And so I told my mom about this. My mom was like, God, she's like, somebody will just pay for everything. (laughs) <laughs> and I just had to do the shit I've been doing already. <laughs> she was like, what's bad about that? And she was joking, obviously, because I explained to her like how terrible all of these men are and they're not like my dad. But yeah. I mean, so I was looking back to like pre-70, pre-row feminism, and I was thinking about the insistence um, by young feminists that they, one, go to work and make a lot of money for the family, and two, not wear a bra. And both of those things, men were like, that's very rebellious, but we're going to accept it because I'm such an ally. I mean, those two things, uh, let's forget about the bras, but the insistence that women make a ton of money also, all of this is everybody should be making more money and working less. Yeah. You know, the fact that nobody can keep their life together makes me anyway always dream of some guy that's going to come in with a ton of money and just buy me a house for no reason. Um, You know, it's like hoping you get the MacArthur or something. (laughs) But um, and then, you know, I do kind of feel for the guy in that equation. Like when I look at, you know, in the old days, if I looked at a guy and had like dollar signs in my eyes, that wasn't probably like he wants hard eyes. You know, he doesn't want to be like a money bags. Um, but, um, but I mean, this is not a boys against girls, a stupid yeah. thing. This is the patriarchy distorts all of our lives kind of all the time. You bring up a good point. And basically, like, when you have a problem, 
it's it's easier for you to attribute that problem to something that is in theory smaller than it is to something bigger. You know, huh. it's really hard to conceive of like patriarchy and like white supremacy, for example. You know, like understanding that there is this like system of uh, things that are both real and like in our brains that affect all of the systems that we live in and abide by. That's a pretty mind boggling concept. And so it might feel easier to just be like, wait, I'm great. Maybe women are bugging, you know, or maybe like this <laughs> yes. thing is here. It's also appealing to problems that like everyone experiences in some way. We all or many of us are trying to find partnership, you know, and, that, and the, the seeking out a partnership is like often one of the biggest challenges we face in life. Yeah. I mean, I think I think finding a partner can become a referendum on all your most id lizard brain thoughts about race and gender. I mean, seriously, race and gender. And it's the ugly stuff in you that comes out. It's not like we're going to say, say to Eric right now, like, you are not at all influenced by the patriarchy. You would marry anyone of any appearance, anytime, because your brain is so free, right? No. So on your podcast, you cite a show called Fresh and Fit. And you play this clip where some men are sitting around joking about how they don't want to date black women. And this this is pretty hard to listen to. I've decided not to play a clip. Tell me about Fresh and Fit, because they're going down into the sort of edgelord part of, you know, kind of racialized and racist thinking when it comes to dating. And they're black also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that took me a while to get. Oh, they, I, I don't really? do believe that, but because I was like, I can't imagine... The communication, Black like the men w- making these jokes. Oh, I just well. couldn't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I think for Fresh and Fit, it's you know, it's a show where you have two, sometimes like three hosts, uh, and then they invite women on to talk, and they are supposed to be of high value. Um, okay. And they're inviting, in theory, high value women on to just to just chat and see what happens. But uh, it what starts to become very apparent is how like race inherently feels like a part of how they judge that value, um, you know. And so in their communication, they say all of these really terrible crystallized ideas that they have about Black women uh, because they think that they struggle more than uh, maybe any other race to like gain some of these high value attributes. And, and the value in this case is not, to, to our earlier point, it's not all purely economic, but it's things that like give women value, quote unquote, like their appearance, their willingness to be deferential to, you know, mm-hmm. a high earning man. Their Help. appearance. Their appearance. And also their appearance. <laughs> but also their oh, appearance. and their age. And do they have sex? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. I'm just like, do you, have you heard it? Like, have you heard what you mm. said? Uh, but they are emboldened by that idea that, Seeking out this vision of masculinity attributes them more value. So, like, I don't necessarily have to consider anyone else because I am already operating kind of at a different level. And the wild thing is that that level is so anti-Black that it doesn't include Black women. It doesn't include people who look just like you. I mean, they said on there, right, they don't don't date Black women. Which is a blessing, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's yeah. one 
there's one <laughs> clip on the show where one of the other hosts was actually shocked one time by how explicit the other host was like how terrible the other host was he just kind of like looked like whoa this is even a lot for us uh but yeah it's a wild show uh but also a very very popular show it's very popular we're gonna take another quick break when we come back i run an idea past eric and Brittany because i've noticed these spheres mano incel femininity coaching as much as they focus on dating They don't seem to be about dating at all. That's next. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well... Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Okay, we're back with Brittany Luce and Eric Eddings of For Colored Nerds. So, all right, I'm going to try something, and it could be, you can tell me if it's completely empty. You know, when I've looked at incel boards and when I've dipped into the manosphere, the white manosphere, I've started to think, like, maybe this has nothing to do with men matching with women. When you look at what they're actually doing, it seems like a kind of, like, self-stimulation slash slash masturbation involving other men. It's like a homosocial yeah. jamboree <laughs> of like, we're building a treehouse. We hate girls. So that they they have found some kind of marriage or a family. Or community. Yeah. It's, it's, or community. Yeah. In their, their view of masculinity is under attack. It's under attack. People are coming for like the purity of what masculinity can be. And they want to stand by their brother, who is also under attack. And so I think they feel a strength by banding together. It's a deep brotherhood. Because in, in, you know, in their view, the other people who are among that community are some of the only other people who get it. Yeah. Who truly get it. Right. And one thing I want to address to you, um, Brittany, is there's a little bit of just separatism going on with the genders. Yeah. I mean, I've never known a t- period where women felt so confident just saying, I hate men, just <laughs> men in general. And and also, there, there was some time, like maybe even 15 years ago, where I was invited to yet another women-only event, girls' night out, many professional events that were only women. And I sort of thought, my parents socialized in couples, you know? Like, even the divine feminine space is supposed to be coaching you to go get a guy but it seems a lot about sitting with your sisters and contemplating your uterus and, you know, the goddess or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I just am like, are men and women just kind of seceding from each other in these spaces? That's a really good question. I'm not certain that actually men and women are any more separate now than they used to be. I think that probably with women entering the workforce 
not just entering the workforce en masse, right, but being able to ascend more successfully or efficiently than they were able to in decades in the past. I think that, um, you know, before there was sort of like the professional sphere, which was primarily men, and the domestic sphere that's primarily women. And so they actually were socializing separately <laughs> all the time. You know what I mean? They were going to work and and having, you know, as a, I mean, I'm basing a lot of this off of Mad Men, which is a historical document. If you ask uh, yes. me. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. <laughs> exactly. So you did a lot of field research. and like, like, Yes, clearly. Yes. Yes. The great prophet, um, Don Draper, <laughs> but also like, I don't know. I mean, people have more ways to express it. Like, I wouldn't go out, like, on the subway and be like, I hate men. Because, like, I don't know who's on this train. Somebody might slap me. (laughs) But um, I could go on Twitter and probably tweet that this afternoon. And, you know, it'd be fine. Like, nothing would change. Like, my fiance's right here. He'd probably still be right here afterwards. It's not a big deal. But, um... Congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. We're getting married in two weeks. I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, no, I think that also just like the internet makes it easier to say things that people once maybe felt uncomfortable saying, which has had, you know, a lot of really positive effects. You know what I mean? I think part of our career, Eric, you and, you, you and I, I think part of our career is built on being able to say things on the internet that I wouldn't say like at my corporate work meeting at the job that I had when we first started for Colored Nerds. But also there are some people, like people feel really way more comfortable being racist online than they used to. <laughs> so I don't know if the, I don't know if genders are necessarily more separate than than they were before. Men and women are more separate than they were before. I think there's a lot of different factors that contribute to why things might feel that way more so now. Yeah, I still think it's been beyond a net positive um, for me to be able to speak out on Twitter. And I'm worried, like the rest of us, that that those things will become even more oppressive, especially with harassment of women. But also, I don't know if you saw Erica Smith wrote a piece in the LA Times about the end of of Black Twitter, Mm. which just Mm. would be, you know, that that's been the heartbeat of Twitter from the beginning and yeah. it would be really a sad thing to lose, you know. But I want to ask as a way of wrapping up, we keep talking about partnership and marriage, but these fresh and fit guys are not looking for, you know, a 50-year matrimony, <laughs> you know, with someone they can build a steady partnership <laughs> with and re- co-parent children. They're looking for sex. And none of us, like, we're not really talking about that this like the incel guys only talk about getting laid. So what does all this say about the state of sex in, you know, well, let's say just in in these, the black manosphere and the divine feminine. I mean, I is, mean. you said something about you want a sexually rapacious wife along with a pretty young wife, not you, Eric, but <laughs> the, the guys on there. But um, but otherwise, what? yeah, what's the state of state of sex in 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 light of these, new kind of gender discourses. I think it's it's interesting. I So sex is obviously a huge part of this. Uh, and I think your point about the Fresh and Fit podcast in terms of like a lot of what they're seeking out is sex is, is apt. But I think also I see them as kind of a, like I see them as a, a beat on a range, if that makes any sense. Like mm-hmm. uh, if you go a little older, you kind of get to like Kevin Samuels. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. who is also kind of very much in this kind of manosphere. Uh, like, he's a lifestyle and dating coach uh, for men, for high-value men, and Got leading it. men to become a high-value man. And his focus is more about a form of partnership. Like, I think the thing that is, uh, 
being a high value man allows you a high degree of flexibility. Okay. Hmm. And I think a lot of the idea of like partnership for a lot of folks strikes at a very deep core, but a lot of times how we like uh, actually satisfy that is really base. And so like, you know, you might really, like really crave intimacy and partnership, but only be able to express that because of, you know, trauma or repression or a society in ways that are very toxic. But as you, I think as you get a little older, at least the language changes. And so I think at the root of this, a lot of it is sex, but it's also sex as like a, uh, as value. Yeah. Like as power. Yeah. I mean, the word value there, it's just infinitely interesting because is the value money? It seems to me like they're trying to quantify something else, something really unquantifiable, like maybe even love. I would say a lot of this is not about love. It's about partnership. I think even it's about, it's transactional. It's the idea, like a lot of the, kind of coming back to what we were saying before, a lot of folks are feeling like the game is already rigged on both sides. And so let me figure out how I can get the best results Mm. from the transaction. Exactly, exactly. And so like, and for men, like sex is seen as something to obtain. If you're mm-hmm. coming from a cishet place, sex is seen as something to obtain, a prize to win, something they're owed, unfortunately, in many cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but for women, it's seen not so much as something that could be also those things, <laughs> but like <laughs> it's also not seen as, uh, you know, in the traditional sense, it's also not seen as something that can be fun or feel good. Mm-hmm. It's um, really seen as a bargaining chip. I think there there are some there are probably more people than we realize who have either had extremely negative or painful experiences with sex or experiences that were huh, at best, you know, like kind of okay. Mm. And so it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, even there's this thing that like I have complicated feelings about or I know that I don't enjoy, or, or like I don't get as much enjoyment out of it as this guy does. But he sees it as a prize. He sees it as something mm-hmm. that is of value to him. And, and is willing to work for and it. And is willing to work for it, exactly. <laughs> it becomes this thing that you can use as a bartering chip. And of course, like, you know, to Eric's point, like, what, you know, these men are looking for sometimes is, like, physical intimate touch. And because of, like, <laughs> the oppressing hold of patriarchy, it, it, it would be unusual for your average American straight man to be like, oh, I'm having a hard day. Could I have a hug to one mm-hmm. of their, you know, other cishet guy mm-hmm. friends? Mm-hmm. Which, like, I mean, mm-hmm. as a cishet woman, that happens all the time. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? That happens yeah. all the time. Yep. Um, and so I, I think, like, being deprived of that sort of, like, mm-hmm. physical reassurance, um, I, I imagine that it creates a lot of men who are starved for touch, you know? Mm-hmm. And don't have any other way of getting it or asking for it. And and also speaking about a very extreme situation, we're speaking about like incels and manosphere and femininity and trad Mm -hmm. wives. But also you see shades of some of those same dynamics playing out in cishet relationships in the West, period, all the time, even if it's not that strong. Yep. This has been completely fascinating. It leads me to think, (laughs) why don't people just, you, you almost want to go onto one of the boards and be like, why not just try love and friendship? Just give it a shot. Maybe it'll work for you better than like calculating value and paying more people for seminars and this and that. Um, YouTube brings so much humor to such difficult subjects. 
and you're both like high value minds Ooh. and in the world needs <laughs> you. you. So thank you, um, Eric and Brittany, very much for thank being here. Thank you so here. much for having us. Same. Thank you so much. Seriously, this has been a, this has been a pleasure. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like what you hear, please give us those five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really, really does help other people learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at this critical pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Ella Fetter and Michelle O'Brien are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. (laughs) No, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.